Hi, everybody. It's WTF, Women Talking Frankly. We're back in the studio today with me, Kyle McAvoy, and my co-host... Candace Birch. We also have a guest today who I'll introduce in just a minute. We're back, and we're excited to be here. We have so many topics to talk about, as usual. But tonight, we're very proud and excited to welcome our esteemed guest, Dr. David Zava. We're so lucky we live in Portland, Oregon, not only for it's a beautiful place, the climate is amazing, but we also have at our fingertips so many health-related resources. Dr. Zava is the founder of ZRT Laboratory, based in a town right by Portland. This commercial and research lab has pioneered innovative testing methods for hormones, tra- neurotransmitters, heavy metals, and more. Dr. Zava, who is a biochemist by trade, but he's a teacher at heart, he gets really animated when he talks about his work. It's actually hard to separate the man from his work. When he started out, he didn't set out to build a company, but he was a researcher and he wanted to provide healthcare practitioners and their patients with a deeper understanding of the role that hormones play in wellness. But the more he studied, the more test results that he reviewed, And in turn, all the stories that he heard from his patients, the more he knew he needed to challenge his knowledge into something, channel his knowledge into something that would help people become actively involved in their own health. And to this day, he's continually searching to understand more fully how the world around us impacts our well-being and how our lifestyle choices, the environment around us, and our genetics impact the delicate balance of our hormones. He uses a hands-on approach which trickles down through his lab. And in turn, his lab is renowned throughout the world and for the way it supports people and their health in a personal way. In his own words, he said, there is no other reason to keep doing the work unless we find out a way to make the world a better place. And I say amen to that. Uh Yeah, and in his lab, they're recognized really all over the world and they have accurate results and they're backed by, they give educational insights. So when people get their results, they're not just getting results. Like oftentimes when you go to the doctor, you get results and there's really no backing for that. We go beyond the numbers. That's right. And when I, I first met Dr. Zava, when I first started my journey as a hormone provider, hormone oriented provider, I started going to some lectures, and he was one of the uh, presenters there. And I was so amazed by his, you know, his depth of experience and his knowledge base. And I began to work with him and his lab, and, and he mentored me and taught me how to understand how hormones work in the body, how to read results. It was pretty incredible. It really just was life-changing for me. And I'm so lucky he's in my town. So now, Candace, tell us a little bit about how you met Dr. Zava. So um, I was, I had been a health educator for years already, and when I turned 48, I started scaring my children with a hot flash and mood swings every 20 minutes, it seemed, and I started reading Dr. John Lee's book, which we have mentioned on this podcast many times, the kind of go-to Bible, what your doctor may not tell you about menopause, and I, I wrote to him and asked him if I could work with him or study with him, and he got back to me and said... Um, or Virginia Hopkins, his co-author, got back and said, uh, Dr. Lee is retiring, but right there in Portland, Oregon, is one of the most innovative researchers. Uh, He's running a a hormone testing lab. Why don't you call him Dr. David Zava? So I think I called you on the phone, and you you told me to come right over, and it (laughs) turned out that you were looking for someone like me, 
but you didn't put an ad in the paper because the per- because you told I think you told your assistant that that person would show up. That's so crazy. And you couldn't put an ad in the paper because you couldn't advertise for specifically someone over forty five who had <laughs> knew what it was to have a hot flash. So I think I promptly had I, we came in. I met you. You sh- you showed me your whole system, and I was sitting there fanning myself, having a hot flash, and. Within a few, I think that very afternoon, you hired me as your director of education. That's a pretty so, crazy story. And it was in the early days, too. It was in 2000, just 2001, because I remember, Oh, yeah, I think it was May, too. It was when the, the towers went down at right around that time. And I think you had had the business set up for two or maybe four years and we're just starting to talk to all the pharmacists in the country through PCCA, which we've also mentioned on this Professional Compounding, professional compounding Centers right. of America. Right. And that was the beginning of a real blast off. But at that time, do you remember, Dr. Zava, there were very few, it was a real uphill battle oh God, to, yes. to, talk, to talk hormones and testing in a different medium than the standard same old, same old blood testing and to try to convince people not to use the, the, the HRT that was killing women. Yeah. So each of us in this way has ended up in the, with, a, you know, with a passion for understanding the way hormones have affected our lives. We've already shared our story. Will you tell us a little bit, Dr. Zava, about how you started? We know you have a long history in this world in science. And how did you end up getting so passionate about hormones? <laughs> Well, I just like science in general. I started out as a child reading Scientific American, you know, when I was able to first start reading. So I've always been a scientist. I've always loved anything related to science. And when I was in graduate school, um, I had to make a decision about which direction I went. And I wanted to do brain research. We're doing brain research now, but I wanted to do brain research then. But that was in the 70s, and uh, Richard Nixon had declared war on cancer at that time. Mm. So I figured, well, that would probably be where the money's at for me doing a postdoctoral fellow and things of that nature and working on the, the, that particular aspect of science. So I went into uh, cancer research, and really the first things I did were to look at um, how environmental chemicals are related to cancer. Because we know one that of the studies the, you did, didn't you? Yeah, a lot on. of a lot of looking at chemical carcinogens and things mm-hmm. like that in the environment. And one of one of the chemicals that I was really interested in was dimethylbenzanthracene, which um, structurally is very similar to estradiol. So, hmm. uh, you know, make a long story short, estradiol, the most potent of the estrogens yeah. in women. Yeah, and dimethyl. Uh, benzanthracine, um, when you give it to rats, it causes them to get mammary tumors. They don't get brain tumors. They don't get stomach tumors. They get mammary tumors. So mm-hmm. that was interesting. And then uh, <clears throat> down the road a little bit, we realized that this same compound is is metabolized in the same way that um, estradiol is metabolized. In fact, actually, the two molecules look a lot alike. Mm. And so they get oxidized. So estradiol gets oxidized and dimethylbenzanthine gets oxidized and it binds to specific gene sites and causes, um, it causes cancer. It causes, specifically, it causes mammary cancer. So in rats, it causes their mammary tumors. And in humans, we're now uh, learning that oxidized or metabolized estrogens are causing cancer. So 
yeah, that was that was kind of the beginning, and then I wrote a grant. I was I've done many different things, but wrote a grant that um, enabled me to uh, to try to follow what's in the environment um, by using a, an easy to collect body fluid. So I used saliva. Mm-hmm. I, I had I had no concept of starting a saliva testing laboratory to measure hormones when I started all this. So I got the grant um, and then started working on saliva and looking at all the things in the environment. I was very interested in soy, um, phytohormones, and all different sorts of things. I was able to screen for these things. And then um, I also needed to be able to develop an assay to be able to look at... um, salivary hormones like estradiol and progesterone and testosterone. So I developed those assays. I didn't develop them to start a business. I developed them for the research purposes that I was involved in. So, Why did um, you use saliva? I used saliva because it needed a, an easy-to-collect body fluid. People yeah. are just weren't going to give you body they weren't going to give you body parts. And blood. Yeah. And can you describe for our listeners what an assay is? Well, an assay is a it's a test for something. Let's say, for example, if you in your bloodstream you have um, uh, testosterone floating around your bloodstream. We we take a body fluid. We might take saliva. We might take urine. We might take blood, and test it for that particular hormone. So there's different ways of doing it. There's what we call immunoassays, and immunoassays are based on an antibody that binds a testosterone and then it throws up a flag and you measure a color. Or we also use more sophisticated methods like um, mass spectrometry. So it's liquid chromatography, mass spectrometry. And that basically is a different kind of method of measuring the same hormone where you, you basically separate it through a column and you get peaks. If you can think about seeing, you know, somebody in a lab that's got peaks of, of something coming out. That, so those are the hormone peaks. And then you smack it with a, uh, a helium or something like that, and you break it up. And there's a fingerprint. For each molecule, there's a fingerprint. Okay. So uh, each one of those types of fingerprints you can measure, you can quantitate. So that's what we do. That's an assay. So it, it allows us to say you have x amount of hormone you have Mm -hmm. x amount of estrogen or you have x amount of testosterone in your body and we can measure that and when you are moving into menopause or you're you're female you're moving into andropause as a male those hormones begin to drop Mm -hmm. so we want to be able to measure those so we have an assay to measure them so that's what an assay is Okay, so you were measuring these hormones back in the day, and you tell me again about this. Is there a shorter name for that that, that um, substance you were studying that was very similar to estradiol? Yeah, it's called dimethylbenzanthrazine. And structurally, <laughs> yeah, sure yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> the dimethylbenzanthrazine. Chicken, chicken wire. Yeah, but uh, it, it, it it's a it's a molecule um, that looks structurally remarkably like estradiol, just like the you know the sex hormone estradiol. Mm-hmm. Um, and it gets it gets oxidized in the body the same way, so it can get into if it goes into the breast tissue, it can oxidize, and we believe that it's it's being carried uh, once it oxidizes, being carried into the into the gene into the, where the DNA is located, mm. and because it's oxidized, that it can bind with DNA and cause damage to the DNA, and that's that's really not any different from cholesterol which is cholesterol is life-giving, but oxidized cholesterol is bad. 
Got it. So it's the same. It's this. It's we're talking about the same thing. You don't want you don't want these free radicals to be forming in your body that causes um, these important molecules to become oxidized, uh, which makes them more dangerous and damages DNA. Is that what you mean when you? I know you've been quoted as saying that estrogen is the angel of life and the angel of death. That's exactly right. So we, you know, I, I, I put that in the breast cancer book that John Lee and I wrote, and. The reason I put that in there is because Eric Cavallari, who really was one of the first mm. people to look at, um, you know, the oxidized estrogens that can potentially cause cancer, um, he said, "Yeah, I look at I look at estrogen as the angel of life and the angel of death. Angel of life because you need estrogen. Mm-hmm. You have to have estrogen in your body really throughout your entire life." Um, men and women. Men and women. Women yes. more men, so. It, people don't realize that men, because they they um, they have higher levels of testosterone, they can make the estrogen they need in their brain because there's a lot of the enzyme that actually metabolizes testosterone to estradiol, and that enzyme is called aromatase, and so it's mm-hmm. um, it's high in the brain. And it keeps the estrogen high. So men basically don't get hot flashes and night sweats. They will if their testosterone drops low oh, enough. Oh, that's so, so I never this, thought about that yeah. with men because the men do go through andropause. Correct. But that's interesting. So if they go deep into andropause or they, you know, they have their testosterone source removed because they've uh, perhaps had prostate cancer or something like that, they start having hot flashes and the same kind of symptoms that women have. And, and the estrogen is... So the angel of life of estrogen is it's important for your bones. Mm-hmm. You know, we all know that when estrogen starts to go away at, at menopause, the, the bones start to Absolutely. erode. Yeah. Uh, so osteoporosis and increased fracture risk. Skin goes, hair goes, uh, brain goes, uh, <laughs> heart goes. So estrogen is really essential. Uh, the, uh, the right amounts of estrogen is really essential for keeping all of those things healthy throughout your life, even even through menopause. And in some women, um, their estrogens just drop really low. Yes. And so they don't have enough. And they, in in my opinion, I'm sure also in yours, that they need supplementation mm-hmm. with small amounts of estrogen. But that's also problematic because I think some women are just getting too much of a good thing. Oh, I see that a lot. And <clears throat> I have to say thank you as a provider because I see people using products like a Divagel or these these um, these products, and I'll, I'll test them, and they'll be tested in the serum, and the levels look okay. You test them in saliva, and their levels are through the roof. And too much of an estrogen, I believe, causes the same symptoms as too little, and people become very estrogen-dominant very quickly, and they don't always know it. And please listen to our episode on estrogen dominance. What's interesting about what you're saying also, Dr. Zava, is that when you started doing this for research purposes – you were being able to f- identify these these highs and lows of hormones, but for the average person, for the average woman out there, this wasn't available. Mm-mm. This was only at a research stage then. Were you, are we one of the, so are we one of the first people to develop saliva testing for hormones? Um, I wouldn't say I was the first person, but I was um, early dawn in, in development and commercialization. Making it available to... Of saliva yeah. testing, really on a, on a large scale. Um, cause you know, we do thousands of tests a day now, I so, know you do. um, thousands of people test of the, a day. Um, so it's, it's, uh, it, it's, it's more difficult to scale to that level, I have to say. So that was really a part of, 
um, the hard part of, of starting out because you, you can do research on these things and you can run a few samples here and there, but to actually do the test on not only estradiol, but progesterone and testosterone and DHEA and cortisol and all the things that we do and be able to put a report out within about three or four days is, is, is quite a project. It's, it's, uh, it's daunting to, you know, to think back about what we had to do to develop the, um, you know, the data systems to be able to do that. But we've, we managed to do it. It's funny. In the world we live today, we all are so used to getting things ASAP right now. Why isn't the test ready? I have gotten so spoiled by the quality of the testing that I, you know, ask. I send people home with a kit. Test results come back within 10 days. There we are. And there we're talking about life-changing. I mean, well, giving me the information I need to make this woman feel like herself again. Well, I remember when I first started at ZRT, most of our most of the customers, the people that came to us were consumers. They were finding you online. And we had women who were writing in, I remember funny emails like, I'm suspecting I have a hormone imbalance. <laughs> and remember, and people would write in, they'd, we'd let them order online. And, and the biggest thing, though, about this testing that you developed is you, you made it available to women everywhere, but you also created a test report model that it wasn't just the numbers. It was, you had to, you have to, to this day, you list every symptom that is connected to a hormonal imbalance of one sort or of another. When those test results come back, the symptoms are linked back mm -hmm. to the imbalances that are detected. And that is, that was really the life-changing yes. part of it because now you have a tool you have numbers but you also have hey this is why you're feeling this way mm -hmm. and we know how many women do we talk to women become their symptoms they think that they're itchy bitchy sweaty tired all the time it's <laughs> never going to change and we can see in these levels when they see these numbers and that it relates to the symptoms they're suffering from they're so relieved it's like it's it's a huge monumental relief yeah, it's getting back. That they can do something. Yeah, that there's getting, a reason. Remember, we talked about, you know, we're, I'm one of the few providers that people are so excited when they come to see me. They want to find something wrong. And then I have this tool that says, well, look, this is why, like Candace said, you have no libido. You have no testosterone. You have no DHEA. You have no progesterone. And, again, people have their own ideas of what hormones do. Mm -hmm. And I think everybody has, like, if I have no libido, it means I have no testosterone, whereas... No, it's much more complicated than that for most people. It's it's a it's a symphony, the balance that you talked about with your hormones. So you have seen obviously a lot of test results in your day. I have seen a few, but I can Over. imagine that you definitely seen a few more. What do you think some of the most common hormone imbalances that you see in women? Well, I would say that, you know, it depends on their age, but as a woman is moving in a menopause starting probably at age thirty five, um, up to 55, yeah, it's a 20, it's a really a 20 year transition. Mm -hmm. And some women, you know, they don't get there until they're 50 and some are 35. It just depends on the person, but it's a, there's about a 20 year window. And during that time, usually you see, um, estradiol fluctuating from very low to high. So there's they're, they, they could be very estrogen dominant or they could be deficient and dominant, you know, depending on the particular day. So 
more likely to have hot flashes and night sweats. And it's not necessarily an estrogen deficiency during that period. It's it's actually the fluctuation of the hormone. It's sort of like a it's a roller coaster. So when you when your estrogen is pushed up high, it programs your brain to believe that that's that's how much I'm supposed to have. It's kind of like like heroin, mm-hmm. you know, it programs your brain. And if you don't get, you know, you don't get your fix, then mm-hmm. you, you feel bad. And so, and so the high estrogen sort of fixes the brain up to expecting to have that high level. And then it, it plummets. And, and when it plummets, you, you can have hot flashes and night sweats. And then once a woman And moves, mood swings. And why yeah, do some women absolutely. not get hot flashes and night sweats? I hear that sometimes, you know, I know I'm digressing here, but yeah, the woman who comes in and says, I've never had a hot flash and night sweats. They probably have As more body fat. I had a million. So yeah. what's the, what's the trifecta? Why do some people get them? And some well, don't? You, you have to realize that, you know, the hot flashes are coming from uh, how the brain is producing serotonin also. So it's, okay. it's, you know, the estrogen is working on the enzymes and the mechanisms of how serotonin works in your brain. So we think of Prozac right. and serotonin, you know, it's calming. Um so it really, it probably has to do with individual differences. Mm-hmm. Uh, women who have a little bit more body weight might make more estrogen that's enough for them. With that and, aromatase enzyme yeah. in there. And if, and if they have the uh, adequate amounts of, of testosterone and aromatase, then they'll make what they need. Oh, I know. see. So it could Got be. It. They it have fat stores. We'll make yeah. it. So, and then. And then those women who are moving into menopause and their uh, their estrogen drops and they're really going to have a deficiency. I think the literature is very clear now that um, when you move into menopause, if you have a low estrogen, you really should do something about it because they they know now that that you know your increased risk of cardiovascular disease, mm-hmm. your increased risk of of uh, bone loss, your increased risk of, of brain issues, loss of memory, and and things of that nature. So, mm-hmm. so that's the bad news. That okay, your estrogen is low, and you're having all these kind of symptoms. The good news is do something and do something now. Do it fast because um, the way I explain it to people is like, look, you know, if you don't paint your house, you don't paint the gutters, and you let them rust, you can't go back and paint them once they get holes in them. Mm -hmm. And that's basically what happens to the human body is if you don't take care of yourself hormonally, um, you can't get it back. Yeah, I always tell people you get one body, that's it. You don't get to trade right. it in again, and you need to take you need to do maintenance on it. And yeah. so, I mean, and, and the studies are showing, like what you said. I know that for a fact too that women who are more symptomatic are more likely to get cardiovascular disease. They're also more likely to seek help, which is the good news. But what right. I see a lot is women who don't have symptoms and are afraid of hormones don't come in until they're 55, 60 years old, and then they say, "I want some help." So it's interesting, like you said. Again, I always have to explain to them. Well, there's going to be some benefit from being on hormones later in life, but not as much. We've lost some time. We've lost some ground. And not to mention that cardiovascular disease is more common than breast cancer in women. It kills more of us than does breast cancer. And women are afraid to use hormones because of the fear of breast cancer. It's like 10 times Not realizing. Yeah. yeah. And and, um, I mean, that's such an interesting issue because I remember from the very beginning days when we, in the early days, you would relentlessly be out there teaching uh, pharmacists and doctors about this and how to measure these levels. And this was even before the boom in functional medicine. Dr. Zava was out there educating everybody. But I still see today there's so much more awareness now. 
But there are still people that think it's all about estrogen. That it's all about low estrogens and don't understand the fluctuations. And I don't, when I look at test results, I don't always see as much estrogen deficiency in women in perimenopause or menopause as I do estrogen dominance, where the estrogen is may not even be high. It's just that right. it's relative to the progesterone level, which is often so low or non-existent, especially in women when they don't, when they're not ovulating. Is that, do you still see yeah, that's, that? That's, that? That's what I see also when we look at test results. They, they are more often going to be, uh, have an excess of estrogen and a lack of progesterone. There, mm-hmm. There's a reason why a woman, you know, beyond 40, um, has a has a problem getting pregnant because she doesn't she might ovulate and produce an egg and uh it may um she may get pregnant but it, she doesn't keep it because uh there's not enough progesterone to maintain the pregnancy Correct. so it's a what we call a luteal insufficiency and and that's what we say when we do testing we can say okay here's a 45 year old woman she's got a she's got a high normal type of estradiol and her progesterone is low. Mm-hmm. So you have to realize that that progesterone and estradiol are like day and night, you know? Hmm. They are they are they are working together in synergy with one another throughout most of your life. Mm-hmm. Estradiol is comes along in the first half of your menstrual cycle and 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 spikes at ovulation and then and then there's a little bit of a peak during the second half of your cycle but the second half of the cycle you produce progesterone and what progesterone does um, is it allows the differentiation of the uterine lining it allows mm-hmm. the differentiation of the breast epithelial cells um, so that it brings it all back to 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 baseline again so if you don't have enough estrogen what happens is that estrogen stimulation keeps going. So you get buildup in the breast, you get fibrocystic breasts, you get pain in the breast, you get uh, overgrowth of the uterine lining. Right. And then that that increases anytime you have anything that increases cell proliferation like that, it increases risk for cancer because you, you have to have cell proliferation to get cancer. You have to have and then you you know, you have environmental things that are going to come in could be uh, heavy metals, it could be the way you're metabolizing the hormones and things like that that are coming into play and and causing uh, a few of those cells that are rapidly proliferating to to uh, be damaged and, and form a cancer cell. Sure. So, so important point that knowing the symptoms become, you know, which is one of our goals here to teach women, to teach you all, what are the symptoms of hormonal imbalance? Because being aware of them may just prevent a breast cancer down the road. Yes, yeah, such if as you like s- heavy periods, fibrocystic breasts, things you Tender breasts. Right. Tender yeah, breasts. Just, um, you know, I think a lot of times, too, miscarriages. Um, you know, a lot of people in inf- infertility are using, uh, many people do use progesterone after ovulation to support a pregnancy because many women are, are delaying their pregnancies until the late 30s, even their 40s, and they don't have enough progesterone on board to, to maintain that right. pregnancy. So... Now, do you see... Uh, and I no, think there is a higher link with miscarriages. There is. That's what's called, he was mentioning, uh, low, it's called the luteal, luteal phase insufficiency, insufficiency meaning that there's not go, enough progesterone produced in the second half of the cycle. I wanted to go back to that for a second just to enlarge my under, own understanding because when ovulation happens, 
the follicle ruptures, the egg pops, as we say, and there's mm-hmm. this ruptured follicle. But that ruptured follicle has to turn into, doesn't it have to magically transform itself into the corpus luteum? And I wonder if it isn't like a two-stage rocket. It's That's got to happen, too. Yeah, it's if that not doesn't just, happen, yeah, you don't make you don't make as much progesterone. And you lose the capacity to make progesterone as you get older. Mm-hmm. So you, you know, yeah. you're still going to ovulate in those cases. Um, so you pop an egg and then, and then um, progesterone is produced by the corpus luteum. But what we see in testing is there's just not as much of it. Right. So a lot of women find that in the perimenopause that they do much better if they supplement with a small amount of progesterone mm-hmm, rather mm-hmm. than... Um, yeah, they don't need estrogen. So they need to balance the estrogen that they're making with progesterone. And that's really was the a lot of the thesis of the breast cancer book that John Lee and I wrote. And what your was, doctor may now tell yeah. you about breast cancer, how hormone balance may help save your life. Yeah. And so they, you know, what, what, what is known is that um, there's the, there's a high risk of higher, much, much uh, higher rate risk of breast cancer during that perimenopausal period mm-hmm. when the estrogen is fine or high and the progesterone is low. And they've actually done studies showing that if your progesterone is okay, you have a much, much lower risk of developing breast cancer at that time. So, Or if you're supplementing f- with it, too. Yeah, well, right. that's that's how you can get it back sure. up to normal okay. is, is, is to supplement with it. Because some women, I'm actually seeing a very, very, very small percentage of women actually have enough progesterone into their 40s, and I always tell them, you probably could have another kid because they're, yeah. you know, they're not, you don't see that very often. Yeah, I, I had uh, um, somebody was talking, to, my wife was, was talking to um, a woman at the swimming pool back in California, and we were all into progesterone and things like that. And so uh, she, she told her all about how wonderful progesterone is, and this is somebody who had not had a period for oh. a year. <laughs> And so she went off to the local store and got some over-the-counter progesterone. And so we didn't see her for about two months throughout the summer. And so the end of summer at the pool, you know, we saw her and said, hey, you know, or, you know, um, asked her, well, how are you how are you doing? And she said, not so good. I said, <laughs> well, what, what, what's the problem? I'm pregnant. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> That's awesome. Isn't that, and then we, I've told people to take chasteberry. You know, it's an herb that helps right. promote production of uh, progesterone. Same thing. Now, do you, in, in all your looking at um, test results, too, I know you're also looking at the DHEA and the cortisol. Can you talk about that a little bit, yeah. how those are related? Yeah, those are, those are two hormones that are produced by the adrenal gland. So your, your body responds to stressors so your brain senses a stress or you you know somebody pinches you or you you break a bone or whatever um or you get a bacterial infection whatever whatever is stressful your body perceives as stress it'll send signals to the uh to the adrenal glands to make cortisol okay so cortisol is um is then used to basically either amplify or suppress the immune system. So it gets the immune system going. So that's one of the things that that it that cortisol does. And it also, uh, it's called a glucocorticoid. So you think about gluco, glucose. So it, mm-hmm. it helps to produce glucose in your body too. But it's a, it's a short-term kind of a thing because you wouldn't want to have 
um, too much cortisol being produced because if you if you have a tumor your adrenals and you 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 become what's called cushionoid and you produce very high amounts of cortisol so uh, that's bad too because that basically eats your body up. So mm-hmm. it takes the muscle and structural tissue and breaks it down into into glucose. It's like people taking steroids. Yeah, well, it is, exactly. People, right. you're producing steroids in your body. And DHEA is kind of the other side of cortisol. Cortisol is a what's called a catabolic. In other words, it's going to break down. It'll break down bone. It'll break down mm-hmm. your skin. It'll break down. It'll, it'll mess, mess your yeah. brain up. And that's that's high concentration of, course, of it, not of not normal, because yeah. it's absolutely essential. You'd die if you didn't make cortisol. Um, DHEA is the precursor for uh, the anabolic hormones like testosterone. So you you'll make your you'll make your testosterone from that, and that that is anabolic. So that builds. So you have those things that break your, your tissue down and those, those that build it. And that's constantly going on in your body. Mm-hmm. So if you're under a lot of undue stress, your adrenals get, we call it exhausted, but that's not really probably an appropriate term. Um, but Taxed. Yeah, tired. So they get tired. Um, it'd be like after you get the flu. You're, you know, you're just exhausted. Uh, you're not going to make as much DHEA. So you won't make as much testosterone. So if you overstress your body, it's gonna it's gonna suppress your ability to make DHEA, which will suppress your body's ability to make testosterone as well as estradiol, because you make the estradiol from the testosterone. Yeah. And I think if I'm, I mean, please correct me if I'm wrong, but when you said early on today that we see women going into perimenopause at age 35 up until, you know, into their 40s and menopause starts at 50. But I remember back in the day, I remember you saying we were seeing younger and younger people going into perimenopausal hormone levels. You were seeing levels that looked more like what you would would expect to see in in one's 40s or mid-40s. And I think that links back to this high cortisol or cortisol imbalance that we see in so many people because we're living in this abundantly stressful world and younger and younger people are becoming they're, they're having symptoms like menopause or perimenopause that's true so there you know there is um there's a lot more environmental stressors mm-hmm. now you know from chemicals yeah. in our environment to uh climate yep. changes to um just you know listening to the news today. technology yeah <laughs> technology is supposed to make things better and it's actually making right. things harder the so, inundation constant so you know information. one thing i see when i see people and they're getting older i can explain to them that when their progesterone levels get get lower as they you know hit perimenopause and menopause those are not going to go up again neither your testosterone neither your estrogen but DHEA, if I see, I saw a woman today, she's 35 years old, DHEA is one. You know, it's the, it's the DHEA level of a 75-year-old woman. How do we explain to her that she might get a bounce back? Is it possible for her to get a bounce back for her DHEA, or is that going to be permanently low unless we su- supplement her? It's pretty much permanent. You know, really? once once it's once it's down like that, because that region of the adrenal glands that produces DHEA usually is the is the first to go. Um, wow. So it's a, it's a sp- very specific region of the adrenal glands that produces DHEA, and it will 
um, it will die sooner than any other region of your adrenal glands. Your your cortisol is 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 pretty constant throughout your life. Mm-hmm. We're looking at at preemies to infants to teenagers to you know adults throughout their entire life, all the way up to you know um, people that are a hundred years old, and the cortisol basically either stays the same <clears throat> or it goes up, unless you have something like Addison's disease. Um, so the the so that stays the same. DHEA is very low when you're young, you're until you're a teenager. They call it adrenarch. That's the adrenals beginning mm-hmm. to mature. Sure. <clears throat> mm-hmm. So that region of the of the adrenal glands actually matures at around age ten, maybe eight to thirteen. So that's so it's beginning to make DHEA, and then it peaks you know, in the early 20s and early teens and, and mid-20s. And then it starts a gradual downhill downhill slope. You lose about 1% of it a year mm-hmm. over your lifetime. And then in some people, it goes down faster than others. could be, you know, from stress. It could be from a number of different things. So you're, you're not likely going to get that back. So you can take it. Sure. Sure. Yeah. No. I mean, but you know what I see in a lot of because I I seem to be testing a lot of younger women um, who are doing extreme exercise, a lot of high intensity exercise, and you'll see these really high DHEA levels and really low testosterone levels. And I always find I, I always think to myself, what what why isn't that DHEA converting to give them some testosterone? They all have low libido. They'll tell you they're breaking up with their boyfriend every cycle, and <laughs> yeah, I, I I would have to I would have to look at um, what's happening in in those people um, to see. They could be taking DHEA. That's what I was wondering. We so always they, have to rule that out, but they're not often. It's often crazy. they're they're just people who are just really they've got a lot going on. It seems, well, and they could do be a lot taking, of vigorous but, workouts. But they could also be taking adrenal adaptogens that could be mm-hmm. stimulating oh, the adrenal glands to, you know, all sort of different sorts of herbal supplements and things to stimulate their adrenal glands to make to make DHEA. Um, so you're saying when you're young, you can improve your DHEA levels, but as you get older, once it's down, even taking the adaptogen won't help as much. Um it, I mean, you can you can squeeze the adrenal glands to you know to make more DHEA, but but you're you're pushing those regions of the adrenal glands a little bit harder, so you're gonna you're gonna wear them out a little bit faster. Probably. Sure, sure. So does that mean that your body will have a harder time creating without a good amount of DHEA to convert down the pathway to estrogen and testosterone, then we're not going to ever be able to make enough of that. I always wonder, because the adrenals are supposed to pick up the slack, but if the adrenals are tired, well, how well, do they do that? Well, healthy adrenals will pick up the slack, but uh, adrenals get exhausted from lack of sleep. Sure. Adrenals get exhausted from stress. Mm-hmm. You know, the stress, Unrelenting. The, just the Poor stress diet. of society today is just horrid. It is horrible. You know, people are are you know overwrought they're stressed yeah, out they're, yeah they're they're not doing well with you know everything that they're exposed to mm-hmm. from and, you know the news to to the environment to everything around them i think there's a lot more of that and i hear that from you know the people we all talk to sure the you, people you, we you all understand talk to. that there's there's a great deal more stress and a lot of disturbing today. 
disturbing toxic vibes out there. Well, I think that's all the more reason to test people's hormones and help them understand why they're imbalanced and help them with adrenal support. I mean, I always put that in my notes when I see patients, adrenal support on every single person who comes in my office. Everybody needs adrenal support. There's just no body that gets a pass on that And I remember, David, you in your lectures long ago were so... You were really put a lot of emphasis on stress. The you know, and, and stress is such a, an overused word. We say stressed out and all of that, but trying to understand what stress, all the different forms it takes in the body, and how it is the first place when you see those adrenals being out of whack. That's really isn't that the first place we need to focus? It is. And people who are really, really stressed, they you know, they just have no energy. They can't get out of bed. They 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 just can't get up, and. You, 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 everybody knows that state mm-hmm. because it's like you've had the flu. Right, exactly. You're just exhausted. You yeah, know, I you, think everybody in this spent. room probably experienced it. Yeah. I think that's, what, that's what drew me in. I had adrenal exhaustion. Right. Graduate school, full-time, raising right. two kids, husband traveling, working. And that's how I learned about all this stuff. And one of the things I was going to bring up about that is when we do this saliva testing or if you do different kinds of testing, one of the benefits is you get to do a cortisol curve. So it's so valuable to measure somebody's cortisol in the comfort of their own home throughout the day. At the right time. At the right time and actually seeing that somebody may have a normal cortisol in the morning, but they may be like supercharged at night or just completely flat the rest of the day. And again, those kind of results, these are like life-changing results for both patients and for providers because it allows us to zero in. That curve is a visual on yeah, the test totally. report that doctors, you created that and that curve. I've had so many people say, hey, you're talking the story of my life here. Yeah, I can't, you know, we got a low cortisol in the morning. I cannot get out of bed. I hit the alarm so many times and I'm just miserable and then bumping along the bottom the whole day, pushing through. But then at night, here comes the second wind right? and we can't sleep. Well, it goes high and it stimulates your brain and then you can't sleep. And if you don't sleep, you won't have a good, what's called cortisol awakening response in the morning. Mm-hmm. Your, your, your exactly. cortisol, your adrenals are saying like, "Hey, I need to rest." Mm-hmm. You know, go back to bed. Um, yeah. Which, which often, you know, on Saturdays when you get a chance to do that, it does help. Some you of know, the best sleep you get is that. It's that like, point. okay, I slept until nine. I feel a lot better. Remember Dr. Wilson in his yeah. book, Adrenal Fatigue: right. The 21st Century Stress Number. He says important to sleep in as much as possible right. on the weekends. Well, sleeping in. Have you ever noticed that some of that your best dreams happen in the morning? Like you wake. You, that sleep is so deep. It's so restorative. Yeah. It's wonderful. So you know, getting back to like the saliva testing and and cortisol testing and DHEA, do you see any corollary with long-term illness, cancer particularly, with all your research? Yeah, I do I do see something with regard to uh, cortisol. Cortisol profiles tend to be flat in people who get cancer. Whoa. Um, they tend to be higher at night. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's not mm-hmm. just my observations of the millions of people that we've tested, but it's, it's published literature that cortisol tends to flatten out. And that it flattens out when you get older, too. It sure. tends to flatten out. You don't have uh, the same cortisol awakening response. So people get up in the morning and say, I don't have any energy. You're not raring to go. Yeah. In they're, the- they're, it's because they're not making any cortisol when the body is, is challenged to make cortisol. But what, we, what, what I do find interesting in the, in the urine testing that we're doing is that those people who tend to have a low cortisol at that point 
they're producing a lot of um, what we call catecholamines or uh, adrenaline or noradrenaline. Mm-hmm. And so that that's a compensation for that. Okay. So they're you know hmm. they they have to have blood glucose. You know, your body's got to you got to wake up. You got to have you know, you got to have sugar for your brain. And those are shorter acting. Those are shorter acting than than cortisol. So it's it it seems to it seems to shift when one is high, the other is low. Um, so we we do see those kind of things. But uh, the the catecholamines or the adrenaline also is is much higher in in uh, cancer patients so those are the things that we see which testing is that not the that's a, saliva that's, epidemic it's a, it's it's in... actually a diurnal urine uh-huh. um, we also see that melatonin tends to be in breast cancer patients tends to be uh, very low very low yeah so we're looking at that diurnal curve so we're looking at four samples tests that we're testing four times so we're testing first when they wake up yep we test a second time a couple hours, if we're doing it in urine. Second time, uh, we're looking a couple hours later, and then kind of before they, uh, as soon as they get home from work, and then again before they go to bed. So you can get a really good diurnal pattern in people by testing them like that. So we can we can look at cortisol, we can look at melatonin, we can look at adrenaline and noradrenaline, how that's being produced throughout the day. So if somebody goes to work and they're just really stressed out about something, then what you'll see is the adrenaline. And you kind of know it mm-hmm. because you, you feel, feel it, it in yeah, your sure. body. Sure. It's like, whoa, you know, I'm really PO'd and and I'm upset and I feel it in my body. That's adrenaline. You know, that's that's what's exactly what's happening in your body. So you 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 feel that. But that's a chemical. It's produced and it, it comes in faster than cortisol. You have That's to have the a fight quick, or flight. Yeah, right. yeah it's a fight or flight hormone, uh, and so it can be produced within seconds. So you're, and that that mm-hmm. and that comes from the adrenal medulla, okay, the very center portion of the adrenal gland. So it's got a direct connection to the brain. So if the brain through your eyes perceives that a lion's about to attack right. you, you've got to get. <laughs> your adrenaline up really fast so you can you can you know if you're if you're an animal you're going to poop in your pants or <laughs> you're going to poop and then you're going to take off uh, urinate or whatever and then you're you're gone you're right. and and you're going to have it's going to give you the the energy molecules to glucose to be able to run away sure the fight or flight thing. as fast as you can but then the cortisol comes in and 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 sort of helps with that it's a backup it's like the long-term gas or something you yeah. know what i find with people i talk to they'll say i cannot believe my cortisol levels are this low they're just shocked they'll say i i work 12 hours a day well, i drink all this coffee there you go they're running, got on, a high, they're running on but adrenaline. they don't get it they think that their cortisol should be really high that it should yeah. be off the map i mean i'm a lawyer i i i have two kids i how can my levels be this low well, those are the people who are adrenaline junkies it's a great they, irony they, what he's saying is that they're just pushing themselves so hard. You you will get energy, but we, it's not very right. beneficial. We have to explain to them. That, you know, after they probably did start out high, right? Those levels would have at one point they were. Yeah, yeah they, when they those were kids. mighty adrenals were pumping yeah, hard were for kids. you, but they yeah. can't do it anymore. Everything, everything was working right. Now you can't get out of bed because you're mm-hmm. you need you need that cortisol rise. Mm-hmm. You know, in the first thirty minutes after you wake up, you can't. It doesn't happen. And so we see, you know, we, we look at profiles either in saliva or we look in, in dried urine and we, we see the same kind of thing. The people who don't have that response in the morning, 
So the first sample, for example, if we're doing urine, the first sample we test should be low because that's, that's an overnight sample. So the cortisol should be low and the melatonin should be high mm-hmm. uh, because that's, that's your sleep cycle. That's, that's, those should be reversed. And then about 30 minutes to an hour after you wake up, those should flip. Okay. So your melatonin, your sleepy hormone, you know, the, that helps replenish your body during the night, uh, then drops. It drops when you have sunlight. So here in Portland, you know, we don't have as much sunlight. So we wake up and go, oh, no, it's another rainy day. Is it, you know, it's, Not it's like, yeah, you wake up and you go, is it, what time is it? Is it daylight or it's is dark. it still dark? Oh, yeah. No. It's, so it's really hard because you're not going to. You know, people get sad. They get seasonal affective, you know, disorder because they're just not making enough melatonin. Um, Which is why the light therapy can be so helpful. Yeah, everything gets gets messed up in the in regions where there's just not enough sunlight. So we, we so I think a lot of people experience that in, in the Portland area. I think the good news about, there's good news behind all this, folks, way. is that the good news, if you do get have these symptoms and you get these tests done and you have these results, there are things that we can do as providers to help you feel better. Oh, yeah. You know, this right. is not all bleak news. This is good news because finding, again, what's because people feel crappy. That's why they come to see us. They don't feel good. And one of our goals with this show is to help you know what questions to ask of your providers, know what questions to ask of, you know, when you go online to look what kinds of testing do you need to be able to figure these things out. Right. And you, you would ask the question, what, what, what did I, what do I see? And I would say the second or maybe an equal uh, thing that is very problematic is thyroid. Mm, yeah. People yeah. are, are so having have so many problems with thyroid and they may test their thyroid hormones and may be perfectly normal but what right. people don't realize is that what you what you measure in the bloodstream isn't necessarily how it's working at the cell level mm-hmm. so if you have the symptoms of thyroid deficiency you probably have what's called a functional thyroid deficiency Amen. right <laughs> and you and it could be because you you're exposed to heavy metals it could be because your cortisol is high because cortisol, if it gets too high, will downregulate the receptors for thyroid. So every cell of your body has, a thi- has thyroid receptors. And every cell of your body has cortisol receptors, or pretty much all of them. Um, and so if you have too much stress and too much adrenaline or too much cortisol going on, uh, it's going to downregulate those receptors because it, it doesn't want your body to be working with thyroid at that point in time. It's kind of like a shutdown. It, it shuts you down. Yeah. But then it. But then you need thyroid for your mitochondria. So every cell in your body has mitochondria. Those are the mm-hmm. powerhouses the of your of your cells. Yeah, sure. And so they generate the energy. So now you don't have any energy. So there's a. It's you know the all these hormones are working in harmony with one another. But I would say. I would say that cortisol, I've always said cortisol and thyroid are sort of the king and queen of the hormones. You look at those, you really got to pay attention to those. If, if you don't, you're not going to get much of anything else correct. Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree. No, and it's true. I see so many women, especially after they've had a baby or two, you know, that their thyroids are definitely hypo-functioning. Right. And, and that's it, another mystery to so many women who will say, I, I'm gaining weight, I can't lose weight, I'm lethargic, I'm depressed, I don't have a libido, I go to the doctor, I get my thyroid done, and they, t- they tell me I'm fine. I know. That is so common. And that, so that, common. that concept, you ju- or that condition of functional 
hypothyroidism yep. is a, a, I don't think it's that understood. That yeah, if the, the testing the, the you do looks at all is, the bits. If you're cold all the time, measure body temperature. Take a look at the kind of symptoms. You know, we have a symptom list. We have symptoms for low thyroid. Mm-hmm. So you may have mm-hmm. a TSH that's perfectly normal, but the thyroid's not working. That's right. It, it's kind of like walking in a room and you can't find the light switch. Mm-hmm. Okay, the hormone's in the room, but it can't it can't flip the switch. It can't get the engines going to get the mitochondria to, uh, going so that you're you're creating energy, you're creating ATP, and you're creating heat for your body. So your body gets cold. Yeah. You say, I'm cold all the time. People that say, I'm cold all the time, that's a thyroid issue. Sure. sure. And another thing we should mention is that one of the things the RT lab pioneered when I was still there was, was the blood spot testing, the dried blood spot where you prick your finger, put some drops on a card and we can test more than just the TSH because TSH is not the whole story. Let's explain oh, what TSH means T- to Thyroid people. stimulating yeah. hormone is that standard test that's that, that is looking at the pituitary signal to the thyroid to make hormone, but that's not really telling you, is it, how much hormone of, the, of nope. T4 or T3 is actually just being no, produced. It just tells you what the brain, yeah. has the signal that the brain has received. It's right. The brain may be different from other organs of your body in terms of of how well it's doing with the thyroid that's there. Yeah, we'll have to have a separate episode on thyroid because thyroid, I think, is a big one. It is. Well, and the connection also in your research between high estrogens or estrogen dominance and thyroid being inhibited is huge. Well, you got to realize when you have too much estrogen in your body, it's going to cause the liver to make a lot of uh, binding globulin, so it makes sex hormone binding globulin that binds to testosterone and estrogen. Proteins so you're, that... you're, those two hormones are going to be you have less of that bioavailable for the body, but it also makes a lot of thyroid binding globulin. Mm. So it holds on to the thyroid, and so the thyroid can't get in the cell. As in the know, is, so as estrogen well. dominance is going to cause estrogen all these dominance things. creates a, sure. a big problem. So too much, too little is very problematic, and it doesn't matter which hormone you're looking at, but it's really, you know, it's like a car, you know, that has all these different fluids that's running through it. Um, they have, there have to be just a very specific amount of, or electricity running through wires. You can't have too much. It has to be just absolutely the exact amount necessary to run whatever that engine is, and hormones are absolutely the same way. You have to, and that's why I've always said, look, you know, get the hormones to the level um, that that they were when you were healthy right. and you were young. Mm-hmm. You know, don't try to get them higher than that. Don't try to get them, don't let them go lower than that. Keep them within a, you know, a range. When, let's say, for example, you were 30 and, and feeling good and healthy and um, I was that, feeling good at 30. Feeling yeah. great. Well, yeah. yeah, it's like the Goldilocks dose. I can't remember. The Goldilocks dose, right? It's just right. You know, well, we think about when people, I mean, I worked in the hospital many years ago, women, people would be on insulin. You had to titrate or, you know, adjust the dose of the insulin to people's glucose levels. It was a very fine balance. There wasn't a lot of wiggle room. If yeah. you had it wrong, people could go into a coma or they could get, you know, ketoacidosis. No. But in the hormones, I think, and, and when we talk about guessing and treating, we're not hitting it accurately half the time. I always tell people when they come to see me, we're not guessing and treating, we're testing and treating. And that was and one of my huge, questions, huge. wondering when testing and treating, are we? Sh- are you seeing in tests that 
people are being treated properly because that's an important part of testing to test while being treated. Mm -hmm. So well, testing with supplementation to see is yeah. that hormone working for you. And we can see, you can see in test results, is there too much? Is there too little? Or do you see now, how many years on are we from when you started ZRT and have educated all these doctors? How, how are they doing? How are they prescribing in sync not with so testing? Well. Oh, my God. Not so well. Most of them. That's not good uh, th news. That I see. More allopathic world is, is still. Uh, still sticking with serum. And serum, serum is good for looking at baseline levels sure. of hormones. It's fine. And I've said that for the last 20 years since I've been lecturing on this. There were, maybe it's 40 or 50. I don't know. <laughs> um, um, but, the, but, but serum, if you're, if you're delivering a hormone topically... It doesn't show up in serum, and it doesn't show up in urine. So you shouldn't use either one of those body fluids to measure the level of the hormone. If you're giving, for example, a topical estradiol or a topical a cream testosterone, or a gel. Patch guys or a patch. getting topical testosterone, they measure their serum, and it's like, oh, it didn't go up. Right. Yeah, it does. It goes up a lot. And if you use a physiologic amount of testosterone, you'll do just fine. I take testosterone. I'm an andropausal male. I'll admit that, um, but I only I only use about two or three milligrams a day to supplement the testosterone that I that my body naturally makes. Mm -hmm. So I can bring my testosterone up. But that compare that to um, more of the FDA approved types of of products that are out there where men are using anywhere from 50 to 200 milligrams of testosterone. And we look at their levels, and if we look at serum, it barely goes up. Right. If we look at capillary blood from the finger stick, uh, what Candace was calling his blood spot, um, we, see, we see 10 to, to 50 times more. Yeah. It's actually in the blood that's feeding the tissues. And salivary levels, which really represent the capillary blood that's moving through the salivary gland is also very high like that. Sure. That's why I was talking about the woman who used this sort of like these gels, these estrogen gels, their levels are like 20, they should be three. And so I think we're right. seeing a lot of people over-prescribe, and I tend not to prescribe oral estrogen unless I people are just older and they've insisted on it, but I stay away from most, mostly oral preparations anyway, so I'm very rarely going to be doing serum testing on people who are on hormones. Yeah, oral estrogen is going gonna, is gonna to hit the liver, and the liver is going to respond by increasing the binding proteins, mm -hmm. so it, it's, it's natural response to say oh I've got to I've got to I've got to make something to, to keep too much of that hormone from getting into the body as opposed to let's say a patch sure an estrogen patch or or a small amount of, of transdermal or, or topical estrogen um, is, a, is a more gentle way of, mm -hmm. of delivering the hormone into the body a lot of people like the patch because it's a steady state delivery yeah, um, it's nice. It's not. It can be great. Some people have side effects. Again, right. tailoring their approach to people right. is we really We should important. mention we're talking about bioidenticals here. Always bioidenticals. Bioidenticals. Yeah. Do yeah. you see this in the testing too? Are more doctors using bioidenticals? Yeah, as there's a, there to definitely is a move. And and and, and with the uh, pharmaceutical industry, a lot of the products that they're producing mm -hmm. are uh, more more bioidentical based, simply because it's just a demand. That's exactly from, right. From the patients and and the physicians to. Get Get them something that's FDA approved um, that has a bioidentical hormone. I, it's kind of a catch-22 with regard to progesterone because really kind of the only bioidentical progesterone is in an oral form. Um, yeah. 
And so there's not really anything out there um, that's available in a in a reasonable topical form, but you can get it over the counter. It's yeah, been sure. available forever. You're talking about Prometrium, the uh, Prometrium is, also is the is the oral, or it could be compounded oral. It, I mean, it works. There's generic, yeah. there's generic fine. forms of proge- right. oral progesterone, but the too. topical pro- uh, progesterone creams that have been around, like Progest from Emerita, that sort of thing, that have been around for a, a oh, long yeah. time. Oh yeah, people are use pretty them. reliable when used in the right Goldilocks dose. Physiologic right. doses, right? And and people people have to realize that if they use them and they want to test, they need to be able to uh, look at the body fluids where it's actually present. Which would be, mm-hmm. you know, we do all four body fluids: we do serum, we do saliva, we do urine, um, and we do blood spot. So mm-hmm. finger stick. So we we've looked at all of them, and we know that if you're using a topical, and it doesn't matter what the hormone is. Um, you're going to get, um, you're not going to see it in serum or urine. Right. So right. you have to use saliva or blood spot. I remember those graphs, those yeah. shocking graphs that right. would show the level yeah, and there would be different. nothing there and then in saliva and, and this we published, huge peak. we published on that. We published yeah. that that data with progesterone in the menopause journal, which is, you know, a reputable journal. That was, I remember journal. that was a big so deal. So we showed that, that a topical progesterone shows up in, in saliva, but does not show up in serum. Yeah, I have one question, maybe just a few more questions, and we'll wrap this up. But um, saliva Time testing, when I, fir- when I first, I know it did fly. When I first started doing this, people said to me, why, you know, we don't believe in saliva testing. It has its share of critics. How have you put that to rest? Well, I wouldn't say I put it to rest, but <laughs> How have you I, helped? We, we do, we do uh, there, there are more studies being published on saliva. The biggest problem with saliva for most labs is some are not very good at measuring the hormones that are in very small amounts. Okay. Estradiol is the hormone that's there in the least amount. So let's 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 say estradiol, give it a value of one. Okay. Testosterone is five. Progesterone is fifty. Uh, cortisol uh, cortisol is a thousand. And DHEA is 5,000. So when you have a lot of hormone, it's easy to measure it. So most people started out measuring salivary um, cortisol and salivary DHEA. So they they were reporting on that, some of the first studies. But then uh, a lot of labs were starting to measure things like like testosterone and then um, uh, progesterone and estradiol. And they used assays that actually worked better than currently. And so unless you know what you're really doing, you're not, you, you, may, you may be testing with the laboratory that is not giving you a very accurate estradiol assay in saliva. And that, and that holds true for serum, too. So it's not, when you get down to the low concentrations of these things, it's more difficult to measure them. But isn't that why you came up with your extraction method? Well, we, yeah, exactly. So we did we did two things. First, first thing we did was we extracted the saliva. So you kind of remove it from the noise. You have a signal and noise. It's like mm-hmm. the Dolby, you know. So you have the real thing there. Then you have something that creates a noise, and the noise for estradiol uh, in most people is about as high as the signal. So you don't know whether you're looking. You, you double. Right. You actually double what mm. you're measuring because you've got half noise and half signal, and and that signal is 
the noise is about the same for uh testosterone. So testosterone is a smaller percentage of the noise with cortisol is way smaller percentage of the noise. So you think about that noise that's the static you hear on the radio. Mm -hmm. It's just that noise. And and, and you you listen to the and you can hear a signal. Well, it'd be like it'd be like trying to, you know, hear a radio broadcast from Russia. You know, where I God, I think I can hear a voice. You know, so that's the, that's the problem with estradiol. Not all the labs are very good at it. What we did is we developed uh, mass spec testing, which is more sensitive to measure the levels of estradiol. And then we we invited. We actually we actually started doing what's called spit testing. So it's saliva proficiency interlaboratory testing. So we test all the laboratories. We, we prepare samples with exact amounts of all the different hormones, and we send them out to the other, other mm. laboratories. And a lot of them participate. Some don't want to. So pretty obvious, you know. We mm-hmm. actually have sent them samples, and they didn't do very well, um, at least for estradiol and, and some of the other hormones. But most of them are very good. Do you publish um, those results? We yeah. don't. No. I, 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 that's 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 private and i i don't want to yeah. make that public mm-hmm. um so but it keeps uh, people, other people probably would but but we, everyone we in don't. the industry can see the results but, the, the, and so but the, everybody people, in the industry gets these results back so they mm-hmm. they, they see honest. what the values are so they have the opportunity to improve because mm-hmm. I, I i don't want to to do anything to you know hurt their business i mm-hmm. want to be able to help them so they do a better job in in the testing that they do. So we're the only lab, actually laboratory, in the United States that that does proficiency testing hmm. for salivary hormones, which helps to raise the standards across the country. It absolutely does, and it, it has because yeah. we've been doing it over the past uh, six or seven years, and and I've seen definite improvement. And I actually write up the report, and if for each of the laboratories, and and tell them where they're probably going wrong if they have a value that's too high. It's usually related to background noise, so you can, you know, you can you can implement the extraction method so you remove the you remove the the signal from the noise is basically mm-hmm. what you're doing with the extraction. So um, we're we're you know, I brag about it, but I would say that we're probably really the world leader in in that aspect of uh, salivary hormone testing because we do testing a lot of the big labs that produce the kits. Mm-hmm. Um, they ask us to analyze samples for them by mass spec. So we can, you know, it's more expensive to test it like that. So we can we can provide those results to them so they know that they're on the money so a QA with regard thing. to, you know, the samples that are. And we just recently introduced uh, LC, uh, liquid chromatography mass spectrometry testing, of saliva, so um, that's a that's a really interesting way of, of testing because we can we can see more complex issues with regard to um, what we're seeing with with saliva. Our, our values are really not for our estradiol and, and other hormones are really not any different than they are with the conventional assays, but it allows us to expand. We can now measure ethanyl estradiol, which is a birth control pill. Oh, estrogen. Wow. We can tell, and what I'm seeing in women is a lot of women who have problems with birth control pills, uh, they have really high levels of ethanyl estradiol. 
Okay. So a lot of estrogen that's that's circulating in their body because they're probably not clear. The liver's not sure. clearing. Nobody can see that because they're not measuring it. Right. Um, so we're looking at aldosterone, which is, you know, what helps with water balance, mm-hmm. uh, minerals. Um, and we're looking at cortisol and cortisone and lots of other hormones. We can clearly differentiate um, late onset uh congenital adrenal hyperplasia in adults from uh, polycystic ovarian syndrome just based right. on the hormones that we're looking. So it's, there, there are a whole lot more hormones. So it's very similar to the um, urine metabolite testing. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're doing that in saliva now. So we just introduced that. Are you pretty excited about that? Is that something you I really like to it innovate? a lot. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a really neat test. But you don't you don't need that for the the you know the the you know, you need that you you need that for complex cases sure for the where you can't person. figure things out yeah. um, and that's what we're you know we're looking at those so you know Candace knows you know what what my job is is to start writing the artificial intelligence so oh, it interprets this sure. so this is a whole new ball game for me and I'm oh. I'm, I'm uh, yeah, very busy imagine. with with writing you know, bridging bridging together uh, all of the results and what they mean and, and you know, how can we help the 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 uh, practitioner right. you know better understand what's happening with their with their results. So that's, especially that's complex it. things like yeah. PCOS and So mm-hmm. I just wanna say thank yeah. you first of all, Doctor Zav. This conversation could go on for days. Oh, maybe we could he'll be come here back. All night. We could be here yeah. all night but he I wanna find it. But again. I just wanna maybe yes take a break now and we'll come back another time for sure because we have so yeah, many more that. questions to ask you um and the, i think what's exciting is that you know i started out with this about 18 years ago saliva testing where you developed so many more things and we see people that don't fit into these neat boxes but so many people are not that complicated and i really encourage people to go in and get tested and find out what your hormone balance or imbalance is wouldn't you say that's the, the bottom line here i help? i think i think if you you know, you're you're feeling bad. You have some, you know, bad symptoms, and you think it might be hormones. It probably is. Right, and we always <laughs> like to end each episode with one of our very fun little. Um, we had what we call them the essential ten truths about hormones and health, and I'm having a really hard time picking the one today that I thought would be good. But I thought maybe this is the one I picked. Was that symptom relief is not the only goal of hormone therapy. It is about optimal health, disease prevention, and longevity. So if you have a symptom, whether you have a symptom or not, you know, if you know that you're feeling off, get yourself to a provider that can test you, don't you think? Yeah. I mean, when you, when you asked David about the saliva testing and how he put criticism to rest, this is all that the evolution of this is giving us more and more information, peeling back the layers and, and linking it to not only relief of symptoms, but our, our health span. How many years of life do we have to be healthy? Amen. Um, and you so that, that's thank you for the work you've done. Sure. The women yeah. that are sure. listening today are the women that have benefited and the women that are still to benefit, you know, that are right. still learning. And, they, and I just want to, the exciting thing is that they, we have answers. We have lots of questions, but we're starting to have more answers than we've ever had before. So that's the good news. Dr. Zava, thank you so oh, much. Thanks for inviting me. I'd love for to For spending come back. the time. We'd yeah. love to have you back. Okay. Okay. Amen. 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 Amen.